Psalm 128. This is a psalm about what it looks like when God blesses your life. Let me read Psalm 128. Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in his ways. You will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your sons will be like olive shoots around your table. Thus is the man blessed who fears the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion all the days of your life. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem. And may you live to see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. You know, there are uh, thousands and thousands of different languages, people groups, cultures in the world, which is why linguistics and anthropology are such fascinating fields of study. And yet, there is and there are commonalities between human beings across cultures, across languages, people who seem very different in many ways, yet there are some things that are common to the human experience. And and one of those common things, I I think, is this desire for what we might call the good life. Uh, There are certain things that, you you know, people seem so different, and yet when you really get to know people, you find out there's some things everybody wants. For instance, people want prosperity. You know, you don't find people who don't want to prosper. Uh, It's a double negative, but, you know, you don't find people who want whatever the opposite of prosperity is. Uh, Whether it's the the person working in advertising in London or whether it's a fisherman in Papua New Guinea, they want to work and they want prosperity from their work. They want to eat. They want things to go well. They want the the work of their hands to prosper. Uh, Another common human desire is for a mate, for a spouse. You, you find marriage and, or some form of that across all cultures. And people who are married tend to want children. And, and people want to live in a safe, peaceful area, a village or town or state, however the people are organized in various cultures, where it's safe so that they can be prosperous and they can raise their family. And, and you, know, you get to know people across cultures and you find that those are just basic human desires that people tend to have. And as Christians, we look at this sort of common desire for what we might call the good life, the the peaceful life, this prosperous life with family and friends. And, And we look at that as Christians, and we understand that by looking at the Bible. And we see that in the very beginning, God put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, right? And that's what he told them to do. He told them to work and they were going to have prosperity from their work in the Garden of Eden. And he saw the man, and he said, well, it's not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. And God made the woman, and God put man and woman together. And then God told the man and woman, be fruitful and multiply. So, so all of these desires, they're kind of hardwired into us from creation. We, we, we're made to desire and want these things. The question then becomes, for those of us, and that's everybody, who live on this side of the Garden of Eden, who live outside of that ideal place that God first put human beings before we sinned, for those of us who live in a sinful and broken world, how do we find that good life? How do we achieve that blessed life? And that's what Psalm 128 is all about. It's a description of the blessings that God gives. Do you find the blessed life just by working harder, working smarter? Do you find the blessed life by positive thinking? 
Do you just need to think more positive thoughts? Is it through the power of positive believing? Maybe the good life is just kind of dumb luck. Some people get it, some people don't. Good things happen to some people for random reasons, and bad things happen to other people for random reasons, and there's no rhyme or reason to it. Just good and bad happens. That's not what Psalm 128 says. Psalm 128 says that all blessings, all the good things we experience this side of the Garden of Eden, this side of heaven, are gifts from God. It's God who gives the good life. And so look at this psalm. I just want to look at it with you. And I want you to notice two things. We'll we'll look at two primary points in the psalm. One is uh, who, who does God bless or whom does God bless? And the second question is how does God bless? So if you look at this psalm, it really is telling us two things. It tells us who the person is that receives God's blessing. And then the second thing it tells us is what does that blessing look like? So let's look at the first part. Who is it that God blesses? It's right there in verse 1. Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in his ways. It's down in verse 4. Thus is the man blessed who fears the Lord. So the person whom God wants to bless is the person who fears him. It's the fear of the Lord that God blesses. Not necessarily the person who's more gifted or more talented, but the person who really fears God. Now, we've got to probably stop and talk about that, right? Because we don't really use the phrase, the fear of the Lord, much anymore. I mean, sometimes people say like, whoa, that really put the fear of God in me, right? But they're not actually talking about fearing God. That's just something people say when they're scared or something. So it's like, what is the fear of the Lord? Some of you may have studied this. Some of you may have kind of dug into this in in your Christian life, your, your biblical studies over the years. Maybe some of you are like, I don't really know what the fear of the Lord is. I mean, if you had to explain the fear of the Lord to like, a third grader, you know, what would you say? Uh, you know, well, let me ask you this. What, what is the fear of the Lord not? It's not like being scared of scary things, right? So like, you know, kids here, you know, some of you are scared of your, the dark. Anyone here scared of like your closet at night or under the bed because there could be monsters? There are, but... <laughs> they go away as you get older, but they're real. They're real. You should be scared, you know. Just stay under the covers. That's what I did. (laughs) Adults have fears. We fear the, you know, stock market bubble is going to pop again. We fear cancer. We fear things too. So there are things in this world to fear, dangerous things, uh, scary, malevolent things. But that's not the kind of exactly the fear of the Lord. It's not fear like that. Not, Not like the boogeyman. Even though we tremble before him, he is, he is in some ways scary because he is God. And yet, it's a different kind of fear. What would be some synonyms that you might use for the fear of the Lord? Reverence, respect, awe, wonder, even worship. Worship, awe, wonder, reverence. Yeah, a little bit of trembling too because it's God, but, but not again like the boogeyman scared, not like from a horror movie, but, but reverence before an awesome and holy God. There's a, a passage I was just reading recently um, that I felt like captured the, the heart that fears God. I'd like to show it to you. Put a bookmark here in Psalm 128, a finger or pencil or something. And, uh, and turn back to 1 Chronicles 16. Can you find 1 Chronicles 16? 
It's on page 410. 410. 1 Chronicles 16, page 410 in the Pew Bible. This is a prayer that David prayed. It was a psalm that David wrote. And I just want to read a portion of this, starting at verse 25. I'm going to read this together. And as I read this, this really does, I feel like, put into words the heart of a person who fears the Lord. This is what the fear of the Lord sounds like when it's written out as a psalm. Look at verse 25. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols. They're just statues. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy in his dwelling place. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of nations. He's calling on the whole world to worship God. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering before him and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. That's the heart that fears God. Tremble before him all the earth. He is a God who is worthy of, of all people. And if the whole planet were to fall on its face right now, prostrate before God and worship him, he would be worthy of that. That wouldn't be overkill. It would be actually underkill. <laughs> it wouldn't be enough for his worth and his glory. That is an awesome God that we worship. And the fear of the Lord recognizes that and stands in awe of him. That's why, as you go back to Psalm 128, you can turn back there now, you have this this other phrase in verse 1. Blessed are all those who fear the Lord who walk in his ways. The person whom God blesses fears him, and if you fear God, you'll obey God. Those two go together. The heart that fears the Lord produces a life that obeys the Lord. You you can't separate worship and obedience or, or, or faith in revering God from doing what he says. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. They, they go together, love and obedience. And so, so it's the person who fears the Lord is the person who walks in his ways. You know, uh, when you, so you kids here, I was talking to you before, but you know when you're in school, sorry to bring up school, uh, I know you're on vacation, but remember back, I know this is a traumatic memory, school, you're sitting there in school, and you know sometimes the teacher has to step out of the room for like two minutes, and the teacher's like, look, I just got to take this call, I'm going to be right here in the hallway, and while I'm gone, I want you to work on the worksheet. Now what happens when the teacher does that? <laughs> well, two things. There's some kids who keep working on the worksheet. And then who are the other kids? Right? You know, and all that stuff. <laughs> Which kid were you? <laughs> you know very quickly who fears the teacher and who doesn't. Who respects the teacher and who doesn't. Who honors the teacher and who doesn't. Right? If you honor, you'll do what the person says. If your coach says, I'm going to go for 10 minutes and I want you to run this many laps, then you know who honors the coach and who respects the coach. 
So the fear of the Lord produces a walking in his ways. So, so that's the person, again, verse 1, which I really think verse 1 is kind of a summary of the whole psalm. Blessed are those who fear the Lord and walk in his ways. That's the whole point of this psalm. That's what the blessed life, or the blessed person is, the one who fears God and walks in his ways. It is painfully obvious that we live in a society that has no fear of the Lord. Where is it? We don't fear the Lord. People believe in God. I mean, if you look at the surveys, Gallup, Barna, you know, they do these surveys every year, you find that most Americans believe in God or a higher power or some spiritual thing out there. You, you know, the actual number of self-professed atheists in, in America, at least today, it, it's a very small percentage of the population. Yet, when you talk to people about their spirituality or about God or the higher power, it's usually not a God who is to be feared and reverenced. It's more kind of like a, a warm, fuzzy, affirming, loving, all-embracing, tolerant kind of emotional positive force that, that's sort of out there for everybody and really doesn't judge anybody or really doesn't ask anything of anybody, but it's just kind of there if you're really in a jam, sort of warm, fuzzy being, right? That, that, that kind of spiritual nebulous thing, certainly nothing that would make demands upon my life or tell me to walk in a certain way. And there's not a lot of fear of the Lord. There's not a lot of walking in God's ways. People, when they're trying to figure out their money or their, their, uh, their families or their singleness or their work or their sex lives or anything, they're usually not saying, well, what does the Lord say? That's not how people are guiding their lives today. We don't fear the Lord. Even in the church, there is always a struggle to fear the Lord. And, and we do fear the Lord. We love him. And yet, do we fear him? You know, is there really a fear of the Lord in our hearts and in my hearts? I was kind of challenged by this. You know, I, I think it's easy when you're a Christian. Maybe you're a Christian for many years, maybe decades. It's easy to become so familiar with the things of the Lord, so familiar with the Bible stories, so familiar with the hymns, so familiar with worshiping God together in a church service, so familiar with the Christian life that, that it kind of loses that awe like, like a couple that sort of takes each other for granted after many years, and they've forgotten that, that wonder of, of their spouse. And so, in another way, we, we lose that awe of God. And so, the Christian life can become routine, and, and we need to be reminded of how awesome God is. You know, in times of revival, if you look at church history, those seasons when God sovereignly chooses to visit his people with his Holy Spirit in a great and dramatic way, a kind of blizzard of 78 spiritual outpouring of the Holy Spirit on a people. It happens. There are revivals in church history. And one of the common characteristics, if you study revivals, of revivals, is there is a renewed sense of the fear of the Lord among his people. People are once again in awe of God. It, it just comes upon people like, like a weighty you know, blanket, like, like God's glory descends upon a prayer meeting, or it comes down upon a church service, or sometimes it descends upon a whole town, and suddenly people who before, a week before, could care less 
are suddenly saying, what must I do to be saved? That is what happens in revival, is that there is the fear of the Lord. And we need more of the fear of the Lord, the awe and the reverence of God. If we were to revere God, it would definitely change how we approach Sunday morning. At least for me, it would. You know, I'd probably be concerned less about, like, does this match? Do I have a stain? What are you wearing? Why is she wearing that? Oh, my goodness. You know, it'd it'd be less of that. It'd be less of, like, okay, so after this, I have to get lunch, then I got the soccer, then I have this. And what else are we doing today? And I wouldn't be doing that. I, I wouldn't be coming into church being like, oh, I don't like this song. Well, I like that. Oh, oh wow. They missed a note there. Or, you know, what, you know, how did Jeremy's wife let him out of the house wearing that? Or, you know, whatever. <laughs> whatever. We would gather for worship. And, and there would be a holy awe upon us. And we would be saying, oh, Lord, you're awesome. Lord, oh, the church service is over already? Can't we stay and worship him longer? Oh, Lord, you are great and awesome. That's what it's like when the fear of the Lord grips a people. And so, that's the person that God blesses. Blessed are those who fear the Lord. Let's look at how he blesses. That's the second thing I want to look at. Just what does it look like? What, what, how does the blessing happen? What shape does it take? And we've kind of already answered this a little bit, but here in Psalm 128, it's the good life. Notice four things. Number one, God blesses with prosperity. Verse two, you will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. You can imagine that Israelite farmer, Israelite shepherd working with their hands and Suddenly, God blesses the fruit of their labors, and they bring in the harvest, and they have food for the winter. God blesses labor. It's prosperity. That's one of the blessings. Verse 3, the blessing of family. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your sons will be olive shoots around your table. The blessing of family. Notice the agricultural, the kind of Garden of Eden imagery of vines and shoots there in verse 3. So again, this kind of Edenic echo of the blessing of God. You also have the blessing of of peace, verse five. May the Lord bless you from Zion all the days of your life. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem. So it's not just my individual blessing, but but the good life here involves God blessing Jerusalem. Now, what does that have to do with anything? Well, Jerusalem was the capital of Israel. And so if Jerusalem was blessed, blessed, the whole nation was blessed, which would mean the people would be blessed. So so the blessing of the people was tied to the the blessing of the whole nation together. And and Jerusalem's blessing was was important. Again, this is a psalm of ascent. This is what pilgrims are thinking as they're walking up to Jerusalem during the festivals. And they're celebrating God's blessing of Jerusalem because it means blessing for them as well. So there's prosperity and family and peace. And then the last one is longevity. Verse 6, may you live to see your children's children. This is a picture of the good life, of family and prosperity and peace and longevity. I, uh, I had one of those, I had a Psalm 128 moment last night. I went out to uh, dinner with my wife and uh, three of our kids and uh, my in-laws. Uh, it was their 45th wedding anniversary. So we went out to a little place to eat and uh, it's great, you know. It's like we're sitting there around the table. We have food. We have food. We can eat. We can eat nice food. We're, we're all clothed. We're living in peace. 
There's children, there's grandchildren, my in-laws who have, who have feared the Lord and walked in his ways, and my wife and I are trying to fear the Lord and walk in his ways, and there's the children. You know, and it was like a little Psalm 128 moment. I'm like, this is, this is good. This is blessed. I just thank God for that. Those blessings come from him. These are the blessings of the Lord that, that he gives in life. Prosperity in our work and all these things, family, friends, and peace, longevity to see these things. So we need to fear the Lord and look for him to bless us. You know, um, I'm talking a lot to the kids this morning, but if you're here this morning and you're a kid, you're a teenager, yeah, we'll throw college students in. You guys are here, any college students. Throw you guys in the mix too, might as well. Look, you're still young. You still have your whole life ahead of you. How old do I sound? You still have your whole life ahead of you. (laughs) Right? You still have time to live a life in the fear of the Lord. I just want to just urge you, you know, fear the Lord. Because no one else is telling you that, right? Like, what, what teacher at school is telling you to fear the Lord? What, what's your favorite television program that's saying the blessed life comes through fearing the Lord? You, you know, which, which top 40 song is telling you to fear the Lord? Right? You're, no one's fearing the Lord in your school. It's all about me and self-expression, and it's my life, and you can't tell me what to do, and it's just stupid. That, that's an old saw. That's what the devil was saying in the garden. You do what you want to do. I just, I just want to plead with you. <laughs> There's a blessed life for you to be, ha- to be had for you. You need to fear the Lord. I can do it now. Take it from all of us old people <laughs> who have spent part of our lives or maybe a lot of our lives not fearing the Lord and have reaped consequences from it that we regret. You know, there's, a, there's those of us here who would tell you, it really stinks to not fear the Lord. It sounds sexy and cool at first, but the payoff is really lousy. Fear the Lord. Receive his blessing. And those of us who are maybe older Christians who are trying to fear the Lord, I just want to encourage you to keep it up. Perhaps you don't see all these blessings immediately. We'll talk about that in a minute. Perhaps it does not seem like the blessed life. Perhaps it seems like the, the, the uh, obscure, strange life But God, it doesn't matter what the world thinks. It doesn't matter what's on television. God is to be feared. And he blesses in his time and in his way. He's all that matters. And so those of you who are tired and weary, trying to fear the Lord in a world that does nothing to support and encourage that, I just encourage you to keep fearing the Lord, honoring God with your life, being faithful to him. Or maybe you're here this morning and you're like, you know, I don't even know what the fear of the Lord is. But I know this. I know my life's a mess. Because that's what happens when we don't fear the Lord. We've all experienced that to one degree or another. For some of us, it's generations. Your grandparents didn't fear the Lord. And your parents didn't fear the Lord. And you never learned to fear the Lord. And, and you just see, you, you can look back and you can just see all the brokenness and the dysfunction and the addictions just passed down generation to generation. And, you know, I just want to tell you that this is a new day, literally. It's today. And the Lord's mercies are new every morning. 
You can always, wherever you're at, come to the Lord and repent, which means to say, God, I've been living the wrong way. I I need you to forgive me and to teach me what it means to fear you and to walk in your ways. And God fears and he restores. It's amazing. So blessed are those who fear the Lord. God blesses. He blesses richly. He gives things like prosperity and family and, and he gives peace and longevity. It's awesome. Well, there's just one more thing then to talk about, I suppose. Maybe it's something that's in your mind. It's in my mind. And it's the, uh, the yeah, but. I always have it. Maybe I shouldn't be having those thoughts, but I do. I read this passage and I believe it. And I want to f- fear the Lord, and I do believe he blesses. But I always have those yeah buts. Yeah, but uh, what about, can you guys finish the sentence? What about people who fear the Lord but don't seem to get any blessings? <laughs> what about that? You know, I believe this. I believe this psalm, but what about that? You know, what's, what's their problem? Do they... Do you know, is there a blessing out there? Is it like the prosperity gospel preachers who tell us, look, the blessing's there. You just got to claim it by faith. You just got to have more faith. That's why I don't have your blessing. You know, is it just you got to think positive thoughts more? What is it? Like, why is it that some people fear the Lord but aren't blessed in some of these ways? You know, this prosperity is a blessing. And yet, some of us here are really struggling financially. And we're trying to fear the Lord, but it's not like we're, we're, we're prosperous. You know, maybe the offering plate comes around and it's like for you a moment of guilt every Sunday. You're like, I wish I had more to give. I, I wish I was rich. I would love to support the church. I'd love to support missionaries. But you're just like, I can barely pay for meals and gas. Where's the prosperity? I'm trying to fear the Lord. Or, or what about family? You know, I, people love the Lord, but they don't even have a spouse. Or what about children? There's people who love the Lord and are trying to fear him, like Godwin talked about last Sunday. Uh, if you, by the way, if you weren't here last Sunday, or you didn't hear Godwin's sermon, like, you need to download that sermon this week. It was really good. It was about work and family. It was just awesome. Anyway, um, but, but some of us here, you know, pe- people who love the Lord but don't have children. And then there's other people out there who don't care about the Lord who have multiple children through multiple partners. How come that happens to them and then the people who love the Lord struggle with infertility? And then what about peace and what about longevity? There are Christians who love the Lord whose lives are cut short. There are people who don't live in peace. Just this weekend, the Christians in Mosul, in Iraq, were told, you got three choices. Convert to Islam, leave pay the tax, or, or die, or we'll kill you. That was it. And so there was a, this weekend was a mass exodus of Christians from Mosul. Like, where's, where's the prosperity and blessing and peace for people who are trying to be faithful? Well, that's a big question, and I certainly can't answer it in the few minutes I have left. Uh, that, could, that could be a whole Sunday school series. You know, why do the wicked prosper? Why do the righteous suffer? I mean, it's just a huge question that we all struggle with. But let me just throw out one thought that that I was kind of chewing on as I was wrestling with this passage. Just one thought. It doesn't answer everything, but I think it it points us in a direction. The thought is this. We have to really be clear about the differences between God's blessing in the Old 
covenant and God's blessings in the new covenant. We have to be clear that there's a difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. There's a difference between the covenant relationship that God made with Israel in the Old Testament and the covenant relationship God has made with the church in the New Testament. There's a difference between the, the, the covenant that Moses made and the covenant that Jesus made. And those blessings are part of the difference. There's similarities, a lot of similarities, but there's differences too. So under the old covenant, the blessings of God were primarily physical and temporal, temporal. They were just for here and now. So, so the blessings in the old covenant tended to be physical things and temporary things right now. So this is how it worked. God led the Israelites out of Egypt. He brought them to Mount Sinai. He gave them the Ten Commandments. And he said, look, if you'll fear me, if you'll worship me and not other gods, if you'll keep my commandments, I will bless you. Here's what blessing looks like. Fertility, prosperity, <laughs> uh, defeating your enemies, peace, good crops, abundant harvest, physical, temporal blessings. And if you don't keep my covenant, I'll take away those things. And now we all know the story. What did Israel do over time? They broke the covenant. They didn't worship God. They worshiped other gods. They broke his laws. They didn't walk in his ways. And so eventually, God said, that's it. And he expelled them from the promised land. And all those physical, temporal blessings were taken away. And the people went into exile. But God is so awesome. He made a new covenant, a better covenant. He sent Jesus to bring about this new covenant. And what we find is that in the new covenant that Jesus made, the new a covenant just means like a, a relational contract like marriage, where two people agree to be one together. And so God made a new relationship between himself and his people in the church and in Christ. And, and this is the thing. The blessings in the new covenant, instead of being physical and temporal, they tend to be spiritual and eternal. That, that's the emphasis you find in the New Testament. Let me show you. Check this out. Turn to a familiar passage. Matthew chapter 5. It's on page 958. Even if you're not very familiar with the Bible, you've probably heard of this or may have heard of this. Matthew chapter 5, page 958. The Beatitudes. This is Jesus teaching the crowds. This is the Sermon on the Mount, very famous teaching sermon of Jesus. It says in verse five, chapter 5, verse 1, Now, when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. So here you already have the new Moses imagery. Just like Moses went up on the mountain to give the law, you have a second Moses here. And his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, let me just read this, and I want you to listen for spiritual, eternal blessings. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So there's the blessings of the new covenant. But what kind of blessings are they? 
They tend to be spiritual. Forgiveness, peace with God, righteousness, being shown mercy, God's forgiveness and grace in your life, a a relationship with the Lord. And they tend to be eternal. How many times is the promise about the kingdom of heaven? So so there's a sense in which those in the new covenant are are really still looking forward to the ultimate fulfillment of the blessings. You you know, we're we're looking forward to the Garden of Eden, but it's in the new creation and the new heavens and the new earth. And so there's something eternal and spiritual about the blessings we seek. Now, does God still bless his people today with family and prosperity and peace and that? Yeah, yeah, right? Every blessing comes from God. But in the new covenant, that's not the focus. In fact, there's even suffering promised here. Blessed are those who are persecuted, verse 10. Verse 11, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil things against you because of me. So it's just kind of funny, right? Yeah, so when it really goes bad in this life and people are against you, you're blessed. What? That's the kingdom of God in this time. That's a blessed life. And the whole the Beatitudes climax with persecution. Isn't that interesting? So... So so the blessing that God gives now, the blessings we have in the new covenant, really have to do with righteousness and eternal life and forgiveness and a relationship with God, right? Now, which is better, old covenant blessings or new covenant blessings? If you had to pick, like just logically, all right, logically, which is better, physical, temporal, Spiritual, eternal, okay? Financial advisors, give me a quick cost-benefit analysis. Okay? Emotionally, it's hard because that means certain blessings. You know, we wish we had certain blessings or others. But you put it on paper, you take all the emotions out of it, you look at it with cold logic. Yeah, spiritual, eternal, right? And in fact, I would even say that the old covenant blessings of family and prosperity were foreshadowings of the eternal, right? Because we know there's not going to be marriage in heaven. Jesus said that. But marriage is pointing forward to the church, Christ and his bride. And, and we know that the children are a picture, like Godwin was saying last Sunday so well, of spiritual children. And we know that the physical prosperity on this earth is a foreshadowing of the, the, the banquet in heaven with the Lord. And so, so all, even all of the old covenant blessings are prefigurements, their analogies, their shadows pointing forward to the true blessings that Christ would bring. So of course it's greater. It doesn't mean that in this life it's, it's hard at those times and we aren't experiencing physical blessings in different ways. But as Christians, that's not where our hope ultimately lies. We're looking forward to a greater blessing, the blessing of eternal life. I was uh, having coffee with a friend of mine who's He's an older, older guy. I mean, old is kind of relative, right? <laughs> as I'm finding as I get older. Uh, but he's older than I am. And uh, we're having coffee and, and we're talking about this matter. And, and he said to me, it was, we're talking about forgiveness and what that means. And he said, you know, if you told me right now, I could have a million bucks right now. Or you told me I could have my sins forgiven. He said, I would pick forgiveness in a heartbeat. <laughs> As he goes, what's the million bucks going to do me? 
He said, he said I, I look back on my life and I have so many regrets. I have so many sins. And I need that taken care of more than I need a million bucks. Jesus put it this way. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? So ultimately, these are the greater blessings. And, and even if you haven't experienced all the blessings of the, this life, the old covenant kind of blessings, if you have Christ, you really haven't missed anything. Ultimately, you won't have missed anything because this is the true blessing that God wants to give is himself to us. And the good news is, of course, that forgiveness is available. You can be forgiven. You can be restored. No matter what your track record is, no matter what the debris trail of your life looks like, you can be forgiven because Jesus Christ came and what did he do? He was cursed so that we could be blessed. When Jesus went to the cross, the one man who truly feared the Lord, the one man who really earned a blessing, and he gave up his blessing in order to be cursed on the cross for us so that we could be blessed. Jesus was judged so that we could be forgiven. Jesus was killed so that we could have eternal life. And he rose again. That's the gospel. And that if we will come to Jesus poor in spirit, verse 3 of Matthew 5, Not, I'm pretty good, look what I got. No, Jesus, I'm totally spiritually bankrupt. And if we come mourning, oh Lord, I'm so sorry. And if we come meekly and hungering for righteousness, God will forgive and show his grace to us. These are the promises of the new covenant. And man, they're so much better than anything that Israel had heard of. It's amazing. See, the greatest blessing of all, the greatest blessing of all is Jesus himself. If you have Jesus, you have the blessing. If you don't have Jesus, you're cursed. You need Christ because he is the blessed one and he is the blessing of God available to all who will believe in him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we worship you this morning. You are the blessed one. We worship you, Jesus, because you feared the Lord every day of your life. You always walked in the Father's ways. Love you. We praise you. Because, because of that, the work of your hands was prosperous. Thank you, Jesus, that your work on the cross is bearing fruit. And that all those for whom you died, God's elect, will certainly be gathered in. You will in no way be frustrated with your intentions and purposes. And Lord Jesus, we praise you. Your vine, your wife is fruitful. Your church is flourishing. Lord, your children are expanding as more people come to you. Oh, Lord Jesus, we thank you for the peace you've brought. We thank you for the new Jerusalem that awaits us. And Lord, we thank you, Jesus, that you live forever and ever. You've conquered death and you live forever and ever. Jesus, you are Psalm 128 in the flesh. We worship you. And Lord, we pray that you would bless us too. Lord, we pray that the fear of the Lord would descend 
upon our church. We pray for that spirit of revival to come. Oh God, we pray for the fear of the Lord to descend upon Boston, upon the South Shore, the Metro West suburbs, the North Shore. Lord, we just pray that people would once again ask, what must we do to be saved? That there might be a great awareness of your glory and that people might seek forgiveness more than money and more than clothing and more than popularity and more than anything the world has to offer. Oh, Lord, may we seek you above all else. God, we want to thank you for our blessings, every one of us, and the various blessings. They may be meager. They may be big. Lord, we thank you for those physical blessings. I pray for brothers and sisters here who who are struggling financially, are struggling with family issues, Lord, are struggling with... um, just peace, struggling with health, worried about their lives, God, I pray that they would look to you, that you would sustain them today and help them to find Jesus as their blessing. And Lord, would you, would you provide, would you bless your people here? Lord, we pray for all the children and teenagers and college students. Oh God, would you cause them to fear you at a young age and to avoid so much of the misery and so many of the traps that the devil would lay before them. Oh God, raise up a generation that, that, that fears the Lord. God, we pray that you bless our children's ministry. Bless Pete as he teaches our high school students, Lord. Bless all the youth workers. God, we just pray, raise up a generation that fears the Lord. Oh God, we pray that, that the generation that comes after us in this church would be far mightier than ourselves and that we would see a whole host of people zealous for the Lord that would even put us, the old people, to shame. God, we pray for people all over the South Shore of Boston to be brought to their knees in worship before you. Oh, Lord, the time is short. Be at work, we pray. And we know, Jesus, you can do it because you're the King of kings and the Lord of lords. All authority in heaven and earth belongs to you. You have the keys to the kingdom of David. Whatever you open cannot be shut, and whatever you shut cannot be opened. And so, Lord, open a great door for the gospel around us, we pray. And open our hearts too. We pray all this in Christ's name.